To better enjoy this episode, I suggest you follow along with the photos and diagrams of the Maesta panels provided for free at patreon.com slash markvinette. Welcome back to the History of North America Extra. I'm Mark Vinette. The Maesta Panels, Chapter 9, Part 2. Umberto regained their attention and resumed his teachings. Creating this huge five-meter-high altarpiece was an arduous undertaking. Before painting, it was assembled from many wood panels bonded together. The construction was large and had to be painted on both sides since it could be seen from all directions when installed on the high altar at the center of the sanctuary. Duccio used tempera paint made from finely ground dry pigments, egg yolk, and water, a permanent fast-drying painting medium. Tempera paintings are very long-lasting, and this was a primary method of painting until the late 15th century when it was superseded by the invention of oil painting, a slow-drying medium that allowed for changes, corrections, and touch-ups, as well as flexibility and depth of color. Please tell us about the missing parts, Julia asked, without moving her gaze from the images. Well, shrugging as he prepared to explain, the altarpiece remained in place until the early 18th century, when it was dismantled in order to distribute the pieces between two altars. When the altarpiece was taken apart, the painting was damaged in the process. As you may know, the dismantling also led to pieces going astray, either being sold or simply unaccounted for. Extant remains of the altarpiece not in our church are divided among several museums around the world. Here is a list of the panels and a chart of their positioning. Umberto handed them each two loose sheets of paper from the inside pocket of his robe. Before telling us about the missing panels, Wade began asking, I'd like to learn more about the historical characters Duccio chose to include in this painting. Using his pointer, Umberto turned back to the altarpiece. Very well. As mentioned, the center of the main frontal panel depicts the Virgin Mary, seated on a magnificent throne draped in beautiful embroidered gold, holding the baby Jesus on her lap. Kneeling before the Madonna, on the right to the throne, is St. Crescentius of Rome, holding an iconic silver cross. During the persecutions of Christians by Roman Emperor Diocletian, he was beheaded at age 11. His mortal remains were transferred to our cathedral in 1058. Then comes Victor, the patron saint of Siena, holding a similar red cross. He was an Italian Christian soldier killed in Roman Syria during the reign of Marcus Aurelius. Standing between them is John the Baptist with raised hand pointing towards the Virgin. After him is St. Peter with a book and St. Agnes of Rome holding a medallion inscribed with a lamb, as the Latin word for lamb is Agnes. Umberto pivoted to the left side of the painting, directing his red laser beam to another of the city's patron saints kneeling in the foreground. This is Bishop Ansonus, called the Baptizer, who used to christen the inhabitants of Siena and was tortured and beheaded by order of Diocletian. The priest solemnly lowered his head, made a sign of the cross, and upon completion, 
kissed the tip of his fingers. Next to him is the fourth and final patron saint of our fair city, Sabinus. Duccio represents this martyred bishop on his knees, grasping a bright red cross with both hands. Why is his crucifix bright red? asked Julia. Actually, he is holding a cross, not a crucifix. A crucifix is a representation of a cross with a figure of Jesus on it. As for the bright color of the cross, it is simply to distinguish it from the darker red color of the background robe. Holding a cross indicates the saint is a holy martyr. However, the red cross generally represents victory over evil and death, while the white cross usually stands for the holy cause of Christianity. The erudite priest signaled his need for a brief pause as he wiped his brow with a lily-white handkerchief. He was not fading. Instead, he seemed re-energized by the purposeful attentiveness of his tiny audience. Now, he resumed, this is John the Evangelist, pointing to a bearded old man holding a book, standing between Ancinus and Sabinus. Next to him is St. Paul with the sword of his martyrdom and St. Catherine of Alexandria holding a martyr's palm branch. Above the row of angels on each side of the Madonna runs a frieze depicting half-length figures of Christ's apostles. Above the apostles are pictorials that focus on Mary's life, while the crowning panels depict angels with Christ at the center. Throughout this fascinating and vivid presentation, Julia and Wade listened analyzed the artwork, and often referred to the paper notes given to them by the knowledgeable churchman. Umberto excused himself for a moment in order to retrieve three small bottles of water from his office. Upon his return, they each took a moment to quench their thirst, with Julia drinking the most. She inserted the half-empty bottle into her jacket side pocket and met with resistance. Taviana's box. Her thoughts instantly turned to the mysterious contents held within the container. Soon, very soon, she told herself, it will no longer be a mystery. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you enjoyed the listen. <laughs>